0: Jack Skellington, the king of Halloween Town, is feeling unfulfilled, like his life is missing something. Everything changes when he discovers a portal to the wondrous Christmas town and becomes obsessed with the joys of Christmas. Jack becomes so obsessed, in fact, that he intends to take over Christmas from Santa Claus, inadvertently turning Christmas into a horrifying holiday full of ghouls and monsters. In what many consider to be Tim Burton's definitive masterpiece, this is 1993's The Nightmare Before Christmas. I'm Connor Izagari.
1: I'm Austin Johnson.
2: I'm Julie Cervantes.
1: And this is Filmgasm.
0: Happy Wednesday, everybody. Welcome to the 116th episode of the Filmgasm Podcast. I'm joined today by my partner in crime, Austin Johnson, and our newest guest host, Julie Cervantes. Good to have you two here to help me unravel what makes this Halloween-Christmas hybrid so damn iconic. Thanks for being here, guys.
1: Yeah, of course. I'm super excited. One of, you know, I would say top 20 favorite animated movies ever, so I'm amped. Yeah, for sure.
2: I'm really happy because this is my third episode, and like, (laughs) I'm starting to get a hang of it, and I really love animated movies, so... (laughs)
0: oh yes right on well this is you know one of my favorites this is going to be a fun fun episode here
1: safe safe place for animated uh lovers right now
0: oh yeah (laughs) but first i have two updates on the rewind one for episode eight the silence of the lambs and one for episode 52 the exorcist
1: decent flicks
0: yeah i'd say so
2: pretty good (laughs) i've never seen either (laughs) but uh they're they're they i heard they're amazing so
1: (laughs) yeah they're pretty good yeah yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> First up, CBS is premiering a new series in February called Clarice, which will follow a young FBI agent, Clarice Starling, one year after the events of Silence of the Lambs. However, and this is ridiculous, legal issues will prohibit the series from even mentioning the name Hannibal Lecter. The rights to the characters in Thomas Harris's novels are split between MGM and the Dino De Laurentiis company, which produced Silence of the Lambs. Because of this, the character of Hannibal, 100% off-limits to of CBS. Can't even mention him by name.
1: Well, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Who is going
0: to see this? Uh-huh. Without Hannibal Lecter, this is just another cop show. Like, yeah, yeah. what's the point? And kind of undermines her whole story, because the whole point is this is a year after Lambs. Clarice is going to be reflecting on that experience, but now she's just not? Just going to forget the most significant drop it. relationship in her professional life? God, I hate, <laughs> I hate studios. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, that's not fun to see when, you know, especially since the Lambs, uh, a deer film that we've gotten to do on filmgasm and could pop up on Oscar Sunday oh, off yeah. that Best Picture win. Um, yeah, it's sad, sad to see that kind of stuff. It feels similarly about um, Nurse Ratchet*, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Like, who, is, who are these shows for? <laughs> these TV shows made out of classic films that ignore everything great about the film. Yeah. Like we don't need a prequel to, you know, Nurse Ratchet's story. All that's going to do is just fuck up her arc. The whole point of Cuckoo's Nest is she might not be an evil nurse. She might just be a nurse.
1: Yeah. And a big part of the point of of is Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you're aware
0: of this, but that's why people watch these movies. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the, the lure, you know, all of that stuff. This this crazy character that somehow we can't stop watching. That's completely gone off the table. Mm. I find that, yeah, I'm out. Yeah. You know what they should have done? is just ax this shit and given a fourth season to
0: Hannibal. <laughs> Goddamn. That's how a lot of people feel. I think Mads feels the same. Yeah, he does. Yeah, so Julie, this is our, this is our dilemma.
2: <laughs> I love it. I love hearing about this. <laughs> so. But on the
0: plus side, we have a really cool update for The Exorcist. Halloween director David Gordon Green is in early talks to direct a sequel to The Exorcist for Blumhouse. That is all to report, as this is very early speculation. Still, knowing Blumhouse's track record in Halloween success... I would not be surprised if this new exorcist is a direct sequel to the first film, ignoring all the sequels, which we talked about when we did exorcist one, two, or three. I don't know. We talked about it at one of those, in one of those episodes, (laughs) but we did bring up the idea of like a new exorcist that could be a direct sequel follow, you know, Linda, uh, adult Linda Blair. She's all fucked up. It could work. It could work.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm in on this. And David Gordon Green, uh, obviously 2018's Halloween is, one of the cooler horror movies of the decade for, for us. And um, he also made a a movie, George Washington in 2000, that I adore. So I'm all in on what Gordon Green's got in the bag. Julie, did you by chance happen to see the 2018 Halloween
0: movie?
2: I did, which is really funny because I had never seen the other ones, but I really enjoyed that one. Um, So I saw that in theaters with some friends, not knowing what to expect. I know that, um, Jamie Lee or what was her act like her name uh she was she like a the young girl that was in the original movies oh yeah so it was really cool to turn like watch her turn to a badass I was like oh who is this chick she seems really badass
0: (laughs) yeah but in crafting that David Gordon Green ignored like 30 years of shitty films and made a
1: sequel to the good one and set a precedent and to do that for the exorcist could be something special very special yeah. right and, and uh, you know shout out to dana mcbride as well yes dana mcbride <laughs> you know it, it, halloween 2018 doesn't i don't think it totally happens about him oh
0: no and i can't wait for halloween kills and halloween ends oh but i'm excited to see what david gordon green is now going to be able to do because of his enormous success with halloween yeah oh, mm-hmm. these are the the great moments you know we're
1: living through movie history with that. We're seeing an auteur in the making here. And that is really cool. Well, and what would be next after those two? Cause you do Halloween 1978 remake. Yeah. Or not remake, but you know, bringing it back to life. Exorcist. Carrie is next. <laughs> <laughs> that would be neat. I could see Carrie. I could see, I think they're doing
0: something. Wicker similar. Man. That would fucking rock. I would love a Wicker Man sequel. Uh, um, there's
1: a lot of seventies movies.
0: So. Yeah. Texas Chainsaw, I think is in the process of being Oof. made in that way. Oof. Um, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think like Jaws. I don't know. There's, I mean, (laughs) 70s is
1: explodes with weird, wacky horror. The Omen. Oh yeah.
0: Boom. That has nothing but shitty sequels. You do a direct to that, like Damien's grown up and ready to end the world. Holy shit. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, one day, Julie, you're gonna see all these (laughs) movies and it's gonna be just amazing.
2: One day I'll be able to jump in and be like, I know what you're talking about. Woo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So. Do you guys remember the first time you saw The Nightmare Before Christmas? Go ahead, Julie.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I was going to say, go ahead. uh, (laughs) Okay. Um, Let's see. So huh? I was, well, in my younger days as a kid, I was um, sheltered from even Nightmare Before Christmas, even though it's a kid's film. So I was sheltered from it. So I didn't see it until I was a little older, maybe like preteens or in my teenage years. Um, I think I saw a clip of it when I was little and it was the clip of the three little kids that were like dressed up as a witch. And then I don't know, a skeleton. And then the other guy was like a demon. And I was like, what the hell is this? Cause I was a kid. I was like, what kind of kids film is this? So I only saw a clip of it. And then uh, when I got older, I finally watched it with some friends. Um, and I was confused because I was like, wait, this looks similar to a different movie, which was Corpse Bride. And I was like, what? These two seem super similar. This, But this one is like about Christmas. Hmm. I guess I need to check out the other one then. So um, I watched both of them, I think the same week. And I was like, really entertained. I was like, where has this been my whole childhood? And I fell in love with it. And I still love it. <laughs>
0: That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, I love that you kind of just stumbled onto this and immediately made the connection with Corpse Bride because it's very much just, you know, thematically similar in the same kind of, you know, it's designed the same way. Burton's animated features very much have a tone and a look. And you can always tell when you're watching a Burton cartoon because it's gothic and weird and dead and gray.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I love that.
1: What about you? Oh, I would have been, yeah, a kid, and I don't, I don't know exactly what age I was. Maybe nine or ten when I first saw it, but then it, when it connected with me, it must have been in middle school. You know, thirteen or fourteen, and you know, seeing stop motion in that way, that creativity with really good voice work, and on the same level of the other stuff I had grown accustomed to seeing, like with Pixar and. And other Disney stuff, you grow accustomed to being great quality. But for the stop motion, this kind of obviously different and a little bit, you know, a little bit quirky and definitely meant to reach a certain audience. I very much appreciated that. And now today, I see Nightmare as you know a borderline masterpiece. And I think, I think it gets misunderstood a lot these days. Uh, I think it, I think it's thrown in um, into this kind of like pile of like this represents a certain culture, and that's not totally fair because this movie is very, very good, and it's not just, uh, oh, oh, Nightmare, Tim Burton, weird. It's a very good movie, a very good story, and some of the better songs that come out of the 90s for me, out of Disney, and that's saying a lot with, you know, <laughs> what Alan Mankin was doing with, you know, Aladdin and Hercules and Lion King and all this crazy shit. Uh, I, I think Nightmare, Danny Elfman is doing some special stuff, and it, it's still holds a very special spot in my heart like today and is a uh, something now that I watch every year for christmas
0: yeah i think so i think this is uh, a lot of people are kind of torn over whether or not this is a halloween movie or a christmas movie and i'm like why not both
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's like a, it's a it's a seasonal movie yeah there
0: you go mm-hmm. this has been a part of my life pretty much since the beginning it's uh my family grew up with a lot of different films. They wanted to show me this came out two years before I was born. So my mom and dad had already you know, watched it, loved it and showed it to me. And I, you know, I latched on and it never left. Tim Burton and uh, Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg directors who pretty much shaped my childhood when it comes to my film development. And this was right there. This was right there. This is one of my Disney cl- like classics that I had on tape that I put on constant rotation. And yeah, I'll never not love this movie. It's so beautiful. It's so meticulously crafted. It's incredible. The production design on this thing is unreal. At the time, nothing like this had ever been done. Mm-hmm. And I still think it holds up. I still think it looks incredible. And yeah, I don't see how anybody could dislike this. It really is kind of a unifier.
1: Yeah, yeah. Even though it is maybe seemingly for a specific audience, mm-hmm. I think it, it should reach everybody. Yeah. It's that good of a film.
0: Yeah. Well, one of my favorite things about it is like the way that everybody reacts in Halloween Town. Like they're ghouls and goblins and they're freaky looking, but they're also really polite. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> It makes me laugh. like when they when they accidentally kidnapped the Easter Bunny, Jack is like, I'm so sorry about this. We're going to take you home. Like yeah. not intend anything here. Like it was, so, it's so funny. Things like that.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think it should be considered a classic too, because uh, whenever I'd hang out with my friends and we talk about Disney, Nightmare never came up. And I was like, but that's really good. <laughs> like, why are none of my friends talking about this? Like when they talk about Lion King or all those other movies, because it's still equally as good, so. Oh
1: yeah, oh yeah, or, or better. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it stands right up there with, I love Hunchback and I love Tarzan, but I, I, Nightmare's right there with those. I, it's certainly one of my favorites from that decade. Well, a big thing about, I think, why people forget
0: about this one is I think a lot of people don't know this is a Disney movie. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not like anything else they have done at that point. Yes. This was weird. <laughs> Disney didn't do weird at the time. Like, they took a big chance on this.
1: Took a huge chance
0: on this and then Toy Story two years later. God, the 90s. Like, everything they did in the 90s was like Sleeping Beauty, you know, just spinning gold out of this. Or was that Rumpelstiltskin? I don't know. It's gold. (laughs) A lot of spindles in in fairy tales.
2: I miss 2D animation. Uh, As much as we've evolved from 2D animation, I still miss it so much. And I wish it would be here still, but I know it can't be.
0: (laughs) It can be. I think that we forget, I think we're so hell-bent on progress that we forget that what's old still works. And I I would love a resurgence of 2D animation.
1: I think it's the most beautiful uh, of Disney's work. Yeah, you know what works? Aladdin. You know what doesn't work? The most recent Aladdin. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, I don't, I think the billion dollar box office gross might disagree with you there. Yeah, uh, for legacy. Yeah. You were talking about, you know, we're talking about, you know, beauty and we're talking about this 90s run. We're not going to talk about the live action run like that. No, no way. Yeah, we're not. That's a shame because animated movies rule. And I'm, you know, this is this is the first one we've done on FilmGasm for anime for Disney. No, for animated. We did Onward. Oh, that's right. We yeah. did Onward. We did yeah, Onward. Yeah, and we've done Beauty and the Beast over on Oscar Sunday, but we have just not done nearly enough animated movies in it. It doesn't really reflect uh, our love for them. Well, when you know most of our episodes are chosen randomly, it's hard to yes.
0: Hard to plan those things. It is, it is. (laughs) But, you know, in the future, we'll see. I've got a lot of animated films in the book. And if, you know, fate willing, do some. We'll get some more, yeah. So The Nightmare Before Christmas actually began as a three-page poem written by Tim Burton during his time as an animator at Walt Disney Productions in 1982. Mm -hmm. He was seeing the, uh, he went to his local store. He saw the Halloween decorations being taken down and the Christmas decorations being put up. So he kind of put those two together and thought like, you know, huh. Uh, He'd intended to adapt the poem into a TV special narrated by Vincent Price, but also considered making it into a children's book and ended up not working with Price because his health was failing. Uh, He developed concept art, shared it with fellow animator Henry Selick, who would later direct the film himself. Burton had success with his 1982 short film, Vincent, which I've seen at pre-show at Draft House a couple of times. It's a very strange Short film. Have have you guys
1: seen Vincent? I I don't remember it, no. No.
0: Yeah, it's a, I've only seen like clips of it. It's like a kid who's obsessed with Vincent Price. And that's all I got.
1: I don't remember. I don't remember
0: the rest of it. (laughs) (laughs) Lightning strikes. (laughs) (laughs) Due to the short success, Disney started to consider uh, making Nightmare as a short film or a TV special but they eventually decided it's too weird. It's not for our audience. And when Burton continued to push it, he was straight up fired. (laughs) They just was like, you're out. You don't mess with the house of mouse. Get out of here. (laughs) And that was in 84. Burton would then have much success on his own as a director with Beetlejuice and Batman. So after Tim Burton started becoming a name, Disney started rethinking like, Hey, maybe, maybe we'll work with you now. And if I was Burton, I would have told him, you know, jog on assholes, but (laughs) you can't make those decisions when you are approached by Disney. Throughout his early career, Nightmare was still in the back of Burton's mind. It was something he never stopped thinking about. One of those ideas that just wouldn't go away. In 1990, he discovered that somehow Disney still owned the potential film rights to The Nightmare Before Christmas. So he could never do anything with it anyway because he developed this idea while working for Disney. Therefore, Disney owns the idea, which is some fucked up dark shit. Speaking as a writer, like you got to watch out for that. It's not fair. No, no, it is not. So thanks to Disney's recent success at the time with animated films like The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Aladdin, something we recently covered in episode 26 of Oscar Sunday, Disney chairman Jeffrey Katzenberg saw Nightmare as an opportunity to continue that winning streak. So Disney gave Burton and Selleck a chance to realize the dream. So you can thank the Disney Renaissance for them being so successful that they're willing to take a chance on something like this. So cool. It all comes back around. It really does. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> However, Burton was unable to direct due to his commitment to Batman Returns last week's episode. So the job went to Selick. That's why Tim Burton did not direct or write this film. Yet it's remembered as Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. So kind of weird. And actually, there's a lot of animosity between him and Selleck because of that. Because Tim Burton got all the credit, but Selleck did all the work. Like, I guess during the, th- the uh, three-year production... Tim Burton popped up like two, three times to see how things were going. And Selleck was like, why? You know, I, I was there. I sweated for this. Why, why is my name not on the poster? So, you know,
1: <laughs> crazy.
0: Selleck had a crew of over 120 workers and 20 sound stages to build this film entirely out of stop motion animation. In total, there were 109,440 frames shot for this film. It took about three and a half years to shoot the entire movie.
1: <laughs> an hour and 17 minutes.
0: Yeah, it's an hour and 17 minutes long. It took three and a half years to shoot because every second of film required about 12 shots.
2: Wow. I appreciate every second, <laughs> every frame.
0: Yeah, you have to. I mean, you look at this film, it never looks like they half-assed it or they you know, missed a frame. It is so elegant and like fluid. Mm -hmm. It's really incredible what they accomplished with this. You can feel those three years of work when you watch this movie. Yeah. That's that's fantastic. Beautiful stuff. Henry Selleck would go on to direct a number of animated films, such as James and the Giant Peach, Monkey Bone, and Coraline, which earned him an Oscar nomination for Best Animated
1: Film. Have you guys seen any of those movies? Because I have not. Oh, yeah. James and the Giant Peach is fucking money. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I love that movie um Coraline's pretty good too uh I, I I feel like you've seen that one yeah
2: I have it's like I saw it when I was like 12 and I remember the first time I watched it I watched it five times in one day like just because I liked it so much and I don't do that like no one does that unless you really like something so yeah I, I love Coraline
1: that's yeah it's awesome. a, it's a vibe Coraline's a vibe and that's the whole thing with these these like beautiful stop-motion movies right is it Put you in a specific place. And when you're in the mood for it, you're in the mood for it. And you you want it, you want it to be good. And Selleck and Burton come through. They really do. James and the Giant, you've got to see James and the Giant Peach. Being a roll
0: doll fan, I'm I am ashamed I haven't seen that.
1: There's yeah, you'd you'd really like that one. Yeah.
0: I my only brush with Coraline in fourth grade at the end of the year, my teacher gave us all like gift bags of like, you know, thanks for being a good student. And there was a book. In the gift bag. Everyone got a paperback of Coraline.
1: No. (laughs) No. never read it. (laughs) Still on the shelf.
2: That book, like, if it's the book I'm thinking of with all the pictures in it, oh, my God. That book terrified me. It terrified me more than the movie did.
0: (laughs) I've heard Coraline is a freaky movie. For for a kid's movie, that it it pushes the line pretty hard. Yeah. Sweet. We're going to have to do that. (laughs) So we talked at length about Tim Burton last week, but let's spotlight a few of his films that are in the same vein as Nightmare, namely Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, and Corpse Bride, in my opinion. So let's start with Beetlejuice. Uh, I know you watched this for the first time last night. <laughs> what, what are your initial thoughts on Beetlejuice?
2: Oh my God. Uh, it was an entirely new feeling I've never felt. <laughs> because, uh, well, so I was watching it, and I this couple is like really likable. I like the couple, and then they freaking die in the beginning. I'm like, whoa, what is happening? Because whenever you think of Beetlejuice, you think of the weird dude because he's in all the pictures and everything. I was like, when is this guy gonna show up? And I was like, is are one of these is the guy that just died gonna be Beetlejuice? They're like, no, no, <laughs> they they're ghosts. So like, I was I was like immediately interested in the story. I was like, where's this going? and what's going to happen. And I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, the characters were really fun. Um, and just like the music scene when they're dancing in the, <laughs> the dining room, that was funny. Um, it was so, this movie was really lovable and it's, it's definitely up there on my list and I'm glad I watched it.
0: <laughs> Hell yeah.
1: Beetlejuice is special. It's, I'm going to go last
0: you go. ahead. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't have, I don't have a terrific amount to say about it. I, I agree with all those things and Michael Keaton is the man, uh-huh. <laughs> of course, you know, I, I spoke so much about Burton last week and my respect for that initial run through the eighties and the nineties and Beetlejuice is obviously a, a massive, massive part of it. And scissor hands in 1990, and Batman being in 89 and Batman returns in 92. This is this is a special time for, for this guy. And um, I'm really glad that you you're able to see Beetlejuice because I think it provides a very interesting look into Tim Burton, what he wishes he could do with people <laughs> he does in animated movies, right? And you can see him always always grappling with the idea of how far can I push these humans. To to look you know different and obscure and, and be lovable at the same time. And it's so cool. That dining room scene is my favorite, <laughs> my favorite part. <laughs> so good. Uh,
0: Beetlejuice. Yeah, it's it's a special film. That's one that's been in my top ten forever. It's the film that I credit as introducing me to Burton. You know, it was this and Nightmare were kind of mm-hmm. like neck and neck for me. And later, you know, the Batman films. But Beetlejuice is Funny as hell. It's Michael Keaton's performance is unreal. He is such a prick, such like the worst person. And oh, I love the idea of a guy you can hire to get living people out of your haunted house. That is such a cool idea. And my favorite scene is when they first meet Beetlejuice, because yeah. he is not what you were expecting. <laughs> and he's just like, you know, I love he's like, who do I have to kill? Like just straight up. Like, <laughs> what, what, what's going on here? He tries to seduce Barbara. It gets all pissed when they leave. It's it's just so perfect. Oh yeah, Beetlejuice is such a classic. It's special.
2: Yeah, I was pretty uh, like surprised on <laughs> the the first scene when things start to get creepy. Um, when uh, they're trying to scare away the the house, the people they're moving into the house. When she freaking takes off her face, I was like, "Whoa, what is this rated? Is this okay? Is oh, it, so it's either R or PG? Let's see what it is. It's PG, and I'm like." <laughs> the hell dude if i was a kid watching this i would never watch any horror movie ever again
0: (laughs) the first movie quote i ever loved was nice fucking model like that bit right there i love that line to (laughs) death unbelievable i was like five six years old yeah 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 (laughs) i should not have been watching this movie but PG. (laughs) god what you had to do to get an r before you know well that was post pg-13 what the what the fuck happened there <laughs> i don't know what happened there i was just thinking that because that's the late 80s yep. i don't know bg-13 happened in 1984 so how did this not get what happened <laughs> that's amazing oh yeah beetlejuice is definitely getting its own episode in the future uh i don't know when that'll happen but it will happen
1: of course yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just something that yeah. will come up and when it does it's so timeless that it doesn't matter you know yeah
0: What's the beginning of, you know, a lot of motifs that Burton would use, like, you know, the black and white stripes is in every film he's ever done. Yes. And I think it started with Beetlejuice.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Like, Pee-wee's big adventure does not count to me. No, no, no. But (laughs) this this was it. Yeah, we're starting with that run. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And that moves us to Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, special film there. Yeah, this was a first-time watch for me when we did the Vincent Price episode, Mm. because it was his final film. And... You can tell how much Burton appreciated Vincent Price. I mean, it is literally Vincent Price passing the torch to the new weirdo, Johnny Depp. And
1: uh, yeah, it's Tim Burton does Frankenstein. It's great. Well, and, and you you talked about passing the torch. It's also that Michael Keaton are officially starting to pass it over to Johnny Depp. Yeah. From, starting, starting to in 1990, right? From being there, his yeah. guy. Yeah. It's just so weird. What do you think about Edward Scissorhands, Julie?
2: It's really magical and it's really surreal and I love how it. it's like the castle in the is like completely different from the town and it's like you see that like sort of contrast like with Nightmare it's like you see the Halloween town and then you see the Christmas town and it's like I really love all the different colors he gets in his films and also I just I hold it very dear to my heart I saw it a while ago but like I also consider this a Christmas movie, but not, not a lot of people will agree with me, but I think it's a Christmas movie, and I love it.
1: <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, it's definitely a Christmas
0: movie. To me, any movie that takes place at Christmas is a Christmas movie.
1: I think it's up to the to the, to the person saying it's a Christmas movie. Yeah. You know, you
0: got to have a logical reason. But Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> For some reason, and I'll never ex- understand this, but my cousin's Every Christmas Eve, we have a ritual where they come to my, they come up to the house, they ca- camp out in my room, and we watch Muppet Treasure Island. <laughs> Not the Muppet Christmas Carol, which would make sense, but Muppet Treasure Island. So, I don't know. You know, Christmas movies mean different things to different people, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, Edward Scissorhands is a Tim Burton fairy tale, and it's the first time we got to see something like that. It, it was Johnny Depp's breakout role. Mm-hmm. and uh you know they would do so many films together after i think now they're talking about doing the adams family together and uh yeah, it's just it's, it's a sweet movie and it's it's weird to see anthony michael hall as like a jock villain considering he played a nerd throughout the 80s yeah that's kind of cool and him and winona Ryder, you know johnny depp and winona Ryder just work really well together
1: yeah more work just as well as uh, him and helena yeah edward scissorhands
0: you know brought a tear to my eye it's a, it's a very sad movie And yeah, I love that. Another one that's definitely going to get its own episode. Yes. And uh, I guess that takes us to Corpse Bride, which uh, is his animated follow-up to Nightmare in 2005 and a very odd movie. (laughs) Yeah. Some might say an acquired taste. Yeah. Uh, I don't like it as much as
1: Nightmare, but I do like it. It's very quirky. (laughs) Extremely, yeah. Yeah uh what do you guys think yeah it takes it takes the quirky to like the next level uh, i think and really is saying hey who who, who's really down for this (laughs) you know who really wants to go down this this rabbit hole and i i most certainly uh like going down that rabbit hole i think Corpse bride is a a wonderful movie Uh, nightmare i like it just a little bit better for sure i agree with you but but i i do think that it doesn't it doesn't necessarily um have to be in its shadow or anything. I think it's a great movie. Uh, I think it can stand on its own. I, I love that there's a 12 year gap in between them. And he's he, he did so much in between that time and grew so much. And some could say that he got worse, you know as a filmmaker through that time. Um, so odd. Yeah, so it's, it's, he's had such a fascinating career. Yeah, uh, what do you think Julie?
2: Um, so like I said before, I, I saw these two movies like the same time but for some reason i held on to nightmare more and i don't i don't know why like the story is very for corpse bride it's very faint to me now because i haven't like watched it in so long um, but I, I do remember it being about like a couple and then like the he doesn't really like the girl or something and <laughs> it does he die or something or she... i don't know it's like between living and death the dead they're like i don't know
0: He goes to the woods. He runs away from his engagement, goes to the woods and, like, practices his engagement and puts the ring on a dead finger.
1: Yeah.
0: And she rises from the grave and is like, we're married now. He's like, oh. (laughs) And he's like, "Uh, okay. Like, she takes him to the land of the dead and kind of helps him build confidence. Corpse Bride. Yeah. It's a sweet movie. I I heard a... um, a cool fan theory that Nightmare, Corpse Bride, and Frankenweenie are all one ongoing story about a boy and his dog.
1: <laughs> that's fantastic.
0: Began with Frankenweenie and, and him raising the dog from getting hit by a car. Corpse Bride, he grows up and finds his bony dog in the afterlife. And then in Nightmare, he's dead and his dog is a ghost.
1: Oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> oh my God. That's so brilliant.
1: <laughs> I love that. And I love Frankenweenie. So I think. I think Frankenweenie is the best thing he's done the past decade.
0: Uh, What what else would you.? Well, I wasn't that big a fan of Frankenweenie. I thought it was kind of dull, but he really does not have much else to latch on to. The past decade,
1: (laughs) Sweeney Todd is amazing, though, from Chosen Seven. Yeah, I think that's his last really good film. That's fair.
0: Yeah, I thought Dumbo was okay, but really forgettable. Yeah. Dark Shadows, I thought was shit. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, forgettable. Alice in Wonderland, Mm. huge hit, but really forgettable for me too. Yeah. It's, I don't know, something happened, man. He just like started remaking everything and lost his gusto. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is.
2: I just feel like those movies kind of lost their charm because you could tell that the style wasn't like the same as it was, I guess, because they're. They're more advanced in their like um, CGI and everything. That's for me. That's probably why I fell asleep during Alice in Wonderland.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great. That's a great point. I think someone like Tim Burton, when he's working in the eighties and nineties, um, is like forced forced to really use you know his creativity uh, to be practical with the things that he has. And like you say, now Alice in Wonderland is kind of like a snooze fest compared to what we've seen him be able to do with all the colors Yeah, where it is. Oh my God, this is fresh. And I've never seen this. And he's clearly paying attention to every scene, every detail. And with, with um, you know, the recent stuff, especially wonderland is like, what makes this any different than the CGI shit we see, you know, in fucking Kong skull Island or Jurassic or Jurassic park or whatever it may be. I'm going to see Burton for Burton, not that shit. You know, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. That's why he was such a weird name to pick to remake Planet of the Apes. Like
1: that's where it starts. That is exactly
0: where it starts. That was the downfall for Burton. That's where it starts. Yeah, because right before that it was Sleepy Hollow. And that is one of his
1: top five best. That's a cool film. Yeah. Yeah. What well, so- and and isn't uh, what else is right there at the Mars attacks is right there at yeah. the end of the 90s. What, my, yeah. One of my favorite movies ever. Like, yeah. what happened, Tim? Tim T- to Timmy. <laughs>
0: You can be better. They're still good in you, Tim. <laughs> oh, so let's talk a bit about the cast of Nightmare. Okay. So Oscar nominee Chris Sarandon voices Jack Skellington, the Pumpkin King. I know.
1: <laughs> Go ahead.
0: Sarandon was nominated for his performance in 1975's Dog Day Afternoon. And he's a guy we practically fawned over in our Fright Night episode back in October. He's fucking Jerry Dandridge, <laughs> the greatest movie vampire of all time. And he's also Prince Humpernick in The Princess Bride, and he's the fucking best. I don't, and he, the fact that he is Jack, come on,
1: <laughs> speaking speaking Jack, he's yeah. talking Jack. Of course, uh, oh boy, Danny Elfman does all the singing, but but that that kind of uh, you know with Jack Skellington, he's not. It's not this crazy, ooh, you know, monotone. It's kind of high pitched and kind of at times creepy, but also giddy yeah he kind of calms me down he's wondrous he's (laughs) he's
0: a like a skeleton who never lost his childlike wonder and seeing him embrace christmas is like you know he's in the what's this song he's very much like this is amazing i've found my you know what i'm supposed to do it's a really cool uh performance Yeah, yeah yeah
2: he's he's polite to the easter bunny he's scary he can be friendly he can be like frustrated you could like there's so many emotions he put into this voice and like yeah he's just super charming in the way that he delivered his this character
0: even when he meets santa claus who he just kidnapped he's not like i'm taking christmas away from you he's like why don't you have a seat and i will take care of things this year (laughs) he's very sweet about it
1: (laughs) oh we're going to give you a break yeah
0: (laughs) it's hilarious um, and speaking of Oscar-nominated composer Danny Elfman, wrote the film soundtrack, also voices Jack's singing voice, as well as the characters of Beryl and the clown with the tearaway face. Yes, Danny Elfman does a lot of uh, wears a lot of hats for this film. And uh, Elfman was nominated for Best Original Score four times for the films Goodwill Hunting, Men in Black, Big Fish, and Milk. Jesus, so it's Christ. not just Burton he works with; he is all over the map. But uh, he's composed the score to most of Burton's films, including Beetlejuice, Batman, Edward Scissorhands, Mars Attacks, Sleepy Hollow, Planet of the Apes, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Corpse Bride, Alice in Wonderland, Dark Shadows, Frank and Weenie, Big Eyes, and Dumbo. (laughs) Some of his other non-Burton scores include Spider-Man, Dick Tracy, Spy Kids, Red Dragon, Wanted, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, Silver Linings Playbook, Oz the Great and Powerful, American Hustle, Avengers: Age of Ultron, Justice League, and The Grinch. He's <laughs> huh. One of the best in the business, and he—I don't think he ever gets the credit he deserves. He's kind of known as the guy who does weird compositions,
1: but look at that resume. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I actually had no idea he, the connection with David O. Russell. I had yeah, no, no idea.
0: I never would have thought he'd be the guy who did Silver Linings and American Hustle. Yeah, but like, I think you know his masterpiece for me is Batman but oh my god his spider-man theme is fucking
1: gold too yeah i agree (laughs) it's really amazing that he he's done two just wonderful superhero soundtracks
0: plus avengers 2 and justice league christ yeah danny elfman the man and i don't know if you guys know this but he is also the lead singer of 80s band oingo boingo yeah i i read that yeah (laughs) they did the theme song to weird science (laughs) fantastic
1: he's Such an awesome dude. Danny Elfin is, I fucking love that guy. He's a rock star. He's, he's one of the guys, you know, this is why we do the podcast, you know, this is why we shout out these people, you know, is the, the lesser knowns, the guys out there that contribute so greatly to film. That's so much fun.
0: He said writing Jack's songs, like writing the songs for this film was the easiest work he's ever done because he identified a lot with Jack Skellington.
2: Wow. I remember when I first listened to, like, his soundtracks when I was in, like, high school, Um, I, the first thing that I was interested in listening to was the Spider-Man theme song. I was like, who, who did this? Like, because it's really good, and so I (laughs) looked it up, and it's Danny Elfman, and then I went on to listen to the the entire soundtrack, and I was so happy, like, listening to that. I showed it to my family, and they're like, what, what's, Okay, <laughs> because I was like the only person interested in soundtrack. <laughs> so like, okay, you're showing me Spider Man theme song. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh,
1: glad we all have each other now, because <laughs> I've been there too. I yeah, I know, I know how that goes when you get amped about just like something simple, just a piece of a score or whatever it may be, and you're like, your whole world lights up, and yeah, you just want, you just want to, you know, fucking kindle someone else's flame and they're they don't want it you know i'm gonna spotlight (laughs) a little something right now um so something that
0: i've been obsessed with lately has been ludwig goranson's score for the mandalorian and he um he did a theme for boba fett that fucking rocks it's so cool i I get amps just thinking about it like it's such a badass yeah
1: movie scores rock yeah (laughs) music is music's like uber uber important to you know everything that happens and in film right you know it's probably the greater the more important art form right music is is everything right is yeah. sound and feeling and all of the, those things and when it's done correctly and people go above and beyond like Danny Elfman mm-hmm. fucking makes the movie way better absolutely man it's, yeah it's
0: fantastic and his music of nightmare some of his best work it is beautiful
1: you, you could say you could say some of the songs are his yeah like are his uh, you know masterpieces
0: not just the songs but the score yeah, yes, yeah. it's, it's fabulous. Well, wow.
1: <laughs> moving, Danny. Danny.
0: <laughs> Moving on in the cast, we have Catherine O'Hara as Sally, as well as um, Shock, one of the Boogie Kids. For years, I didn't know this was Catherine O'Hara. Neither did I. Last night, my mom just found out it was Catherine O'Hara. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what's well, a great performance? She she totally you know immersed herself into what's happening. Catherine O'Hara is someone that I would know from like you know, fucking Orange County with Jack Black and <laughs> Colin Hanks, you know, yeah. really random things. And you just, whoa, she did that in her younger years? Wow, it's it's really a remarkable thing to see on IMDb. Yeah.
0: O'Hara is a longtime comedic character actress who has appeared in such films as Home Alone, Beetlejuice, Best in Show, A Mighty Wind, Frankenweenie, Orange County, and she recently won an Emmy for her role as Moira Rose on the TV series Schitt's Creek. Bam, Wait. Orange County. Yeah,
2: This lady did Sally? Yes. What?
0: (laughs) Lydia Dietz. No, not Lydia. What's the mom's name? Delia. Thank you. Sorry, Beetlejuice fans. Delia Dietz in Beetlejuice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Kevin's mom in Home Alone.
2: Wow. What the heck?
0: (laughs) She's the best. (laughs) Um, Oscar nominee William Hickey voices Dr. Finkelstein, the mad scientist. Hickey was nominated for his role in 1985's Pritzy's Honor, and has appeared in such films as Christmas Vacation, The Name of the Rose, The Producers, My Blue Heaven, and Mouse Hunt. He passed away in 1997 at age 69 from emphysema and bronchitis. And despite him having
1: such a notice, like a distinctive voice, I never knew this was him either. <laughs> I know. I, I didn't know any. I didn't know any of them until not that long ago. Because yeah. even you know Sarandon and Danny Elfman, these these people are not massive, massive stars, right? That pop out to you, Catherine O'Hara. But Jesus, they all give amazing performances that are so worthwhile and so memorable. And now that I know, they, all of them blow me away. Yeah, it is cool. Like for, for example, Catherine O'Hara, she sings Sally too. Yeah, yeah.
0: And um, she did a performance of Sally's uh, song, the song she sings after Jack takes off on the sleigh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, she did a performance of that at a Tim Burton like variety special so cool. and she got a standing ovation. Like that's, that's beautiful. Catherine, <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> And William Hickey, I think, is an underappreciated character actor. I always loved him as Uncle Lewis on Christmas Vacation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. Good shout. <laughs> and um, yeah, he's great as Dr. Finkelstein. That's just, you know,
1: mad scientist who doesn't want Sally to leave. Oh my god, yeah. That character, character is, is so massive for, for, for this film and, and how short it is, you know. These 90s movies that we were talking about, the 90s Disney ones, hinge a lot on the villain being heat Shrek, come in and just be amazing right away mm-hmm. and all of those movies including nightmare have that performance it's yeah. really cool within a movie that is already so dark this guy kind of takes it to the next level
0: i don't consider finkelstein the bad guy though i think he's just kind of a cranky old man <laughs> like he's not trying to hurt sally he just doesn't want to be alone
1: ah he's pretty manipulative i i i, I don't <laughs> I find him to be a little scarier than 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 some of the other some the other people. I I, don't, I wouldn't want him around anybody that's special to me, <laughs> any of my loved ones. Fair enough, fair enough. I don't know. I've just always oh, kind shit, of- he'll swap their brain out. <laughs> Fucking crazy ass <laughs> doctor.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> Maybe it's just because the other bad guy is so good that I just don't see Finkelstein in that role, and we'll get to him.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Best character. Oh yeah.
0: um character actor glenn shaddix plays the two-faced mayor shaddix has appeared in such films as beetlejuice heathers sleepwalkers demolition man multiplicity and planet of the apes he passed away in 2010 at age 58 after suffering a bad fall and he also would play the mayor in like the kingdom hearts games Mm -hmm. Like most of the voice cast returned for all that which is really cool oh yeah and i always wondered why does halloween town have a king and a mayor Hmm. Oh, kind of what's redundant you know what's going
1: on there yeah can i run for president yeah
0: I, do they have a, like a duke too i don't know There's, i don't know the hierarchy <laughs> the of halloween yeah. it's funny but uh i love the mayor i think he's a goofy guy oh yeah incredibly needy but really goofy oh, Yeah,
1: elected official you can't expect me to <laughs> make decisions yeah
0: <laughs> it's cool that it's you know it's otho from beetlejuice i yeah. always like glenn shaddix
1: yeah those, those are nice connections <laughs>
2: I didn't know any of these connections until just now.
0: (laughs)
1: Hell yeah. The
0: more you know. Imagination. (laughs) Finally, Ken Page voices the sinister Oogie Boogie.
1: Ding, 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 ding.
0: He would voice Oogie Boogie in the 2004 video game, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Oogie's Revenge, and in the Kingdom Hearts series. He also voiced King Gator in All Dogs Go to Heaven and played Max Washington
1: in Dreamgirls. Of course.
0: He hasn't done much. But what a memorable performance.
1: Yeah, superb. And, you know, along with a uh, creepy, manipulative doctor. Uh, Oogie Boogie is, of course, the main bad guy. the uh, A villain that most certainly has a stake in the best villain of the 90s. Oh, that's that's high praise. What, what, what do you got? What do you got? I know, I know you're a big Jafar guy. Well, oh, best Disney villain?
0: Yeah. Oh, I thought you said, like, just in general, best no. villain of the oh, 90s. Well, that, I'm like, yeah, shit. No,
1: no. Well, that, that, that would take forever to figure out. Yeah, yeah.
0: Best Disney villain, um, Oogie's up there. Um, I think Frollo tops it for me. Frollo's yeah. so authentic. That's yeah, a level so authentically of- authentically yeah. evil. That's a level of evil Disney never really aspired to again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scar, of course, is it's awesome. Great. Yeah. Um, I, don't know, I have a soft spot for Percival C. McLeach from The Rescuers Down Under. Fair, fair enough. Huh? <laughs> Clayton from Tarzan. Um, it's a great run. Yeah. It's a great run. Oogie fits right Sean in Sean Yu, yeah. Sean Yu, yeah. Oh, yeah. my
1: God. Yeah. Hades- yeah, it's great. Yeah, no, it's a great it's a great run. I think Oogie Boogie belongs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. His introduction is so creepy. From just seeing him in the moon briefly at the beginning to everybody kind of talking about him in the background, like you, know, you don't want to upset Mister Oogie Boogie. Like, and then we finally see him, and he's this like gambling man. It's yeah. so fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> ah.
2: I definitely love Scar, and as a villain, he's pretty. <laughs> mean like he's like against his nephew and like killing his own brother damn yeah. dude <laughs>
0: that'll make you a pretty bad guy yeah it's pretty pretty fucking evil yeah. yeah the scene where he you know grabs mufasa and just goes long live the king and clutches you know chucks him off the fucking cliff that's that's pretty damn dark
1: <laughs> i th- i think for me it was when frollo uh the entire film <laughs> Yeah, from the beginning where
0: he chases down a gypsy woman and you know kills her on the steps of a church and tries to drown
1: her baby yeah that'll do that's it. when that's <laughs> when i was like oh he's evil yeah yeah, Whew. yeah. okay yeah,
2: yeah. Fro- never mind frollo's at the top now i'm <laughs> thinking about
1: it oh it's nuts it, it's kind of hard to even
0: well think and even about.
1: the thing about frollo is that
0: he has convinced himself that god is on his side yeah and yes. this is like his righteous path and those are the scariest people
1: oh yeah yeah no it's and it's not 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 a fucking cartoon you know this is real real life there's there's people in power and authority you know positions that do this all the time do crazy shit like this all the time check out episode
0: 26 of oscar sunday like we went full bore into the disney renaissance yeah and i did not expect to be going back there but it is weird how this you know this film is like exists because of that
1: yeah it, it, it starts right in the beginning of that you know we we look at Especially for you. I know you're a huge Aladdin 1992 and Lion King 1984. Nightmare right, lies right in the middle of those two, and that's very special. Yeah, fantastic. Ah. Um, so, The Nightmare Before Christmas has an
0: IMDb score of 8.0, a Rotten Tomato score of 95%. It was a big hit, grossing 91 million on a budget of 18 million. It was nominated for only one Oscar, Best Visual Effects, which it lost to Jurassic Park. And I have, I, I take issue with that. I mean, Jurassic Park's visual effects are amazing, but this entire movie is an amazing visual effect that never stops. And if there had been a Best Animated Feature category at the time, this would have sweeped that. The fact that Elfman was not not nominated for score or song is fucking criminal. Yeah. And uh,
1: yeah, beautiful. I would think, you know, screenplay nod. (laughs) Yeah, I think a lot of things. I think people weren't ready. You know, they weren't ready even Beauty and the Beast is, you know, there is no, during this time, there is no best animated feature film category at the Oscars. Beauty and the Beast gets in, is the first animated film to get into that best picture category. I, I of course, I think Nightmare is also, you know, worthy of that kind of a spot. Yeah. But you understand how people are hesitant in 1993 on that kind of a decision. As far as Jurassic Park goes, that's really difficult to compare the, the two. And what's really difficult is, to compare what they meant for film right what jurassic park means and what nightmare means is mm. they're both so monstrous yeah they're both incredibly significant <laughs> huge in jurassic park i agree with you it's using stuff that i'm not too huge on for film and while nightmare is like just a fucking piece of art the whole way through god damn <laughs> jurassic park is one of the best does it one of the best ways using monsters using these giant things building a t-rex <laughs> yeah true those things are those things are really powerful so that's yeah. it that is quite a race for those two yeah. movies to be coming out in the same year yeah. they're both they're both monumental for for film and then the third film was cliffhanger so you know yeah <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah sylvester stallone climbing a mountain come on
1: yeah we're good <laughs> we're good on that yeah
0: oh ah. Um, it's since become one of the most iconic animated films of all time, has been merchandised to hell, embraced by the goth community, is currently in possible development as one
1: of Disney's live action remakes. No, no, mm. no, no,
2: no,
1: Yeah, that no, would no, 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 that no. would hurt. no, no, no. no. <laughs> I would just I, I don't think I would wanna wanna sit down and watch that. What the fuck is Skellington gonna look like? How the hell do you make a live action Jack Skellington? Stay away from it. <laughs> Unless Danny Elfman himself is gonna dress up then I don't wanna see it I don't
0: wanna see it oh my god you know I think as long as Tim Burton's alive he will never let that happen I I hope so he's incredibly protective of this that's why there's never been a sequel
1: well that's that's well and you know I've heard plenty of people who want the movies made about the different holidays no 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 that's why it's the less the the, you know the less is
0: more I don't want to see Jack Skellington, you know, go have Thanksgiving with the Indians. Like, no, 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 no,
1: no, no, no. I I like the hour and twenty minutes that we have. I want to keep it that way. Yeah. Yeah. What's he gonna? I was actually. That's my first talking point. Uh, the holiday doors. Okay.
0: So, Christmas Town makes sense. Halloween Town makes sense. What the
1: hell does Easter Town look like? Scary <laughs> bunnies everywhere. Mm-hmm. Colorful, bright, weird kind of annoying colors everywhere. Eggs. Eggs. Only conf- eggs. Confetti, <laughs> bunnies, buck teeth. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, then I wondered, like, does the St. Patrick's Day door just take you to an Irish pub? Like, what's the... What happens there? I mean, that's what St. Patrick's Day is.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't think that they're, they should have even had doors. Like, because Halloween and Christmas are probably the most largest holidays it ever so like why would you compare that to those holidays it doesn't really make sense but I guess it makes sense to the story it's saying like there's different uh like different groups of people that celebrate different things and it's like yeah. I don't know if there was just a Christmas door I, I don't know how that would affect the, the story and the setting and stuff
0: well they could have just done you know Jack takes a walk and ends up in Christmastown they didn't have to be doors
2: yeah yeah yeah
0: because all that all that does is you know bring up a whole bunch of implications. Like is Valentine's Day door just like a you know like an island, like a fantasy island of just people doing whatever they want?
1: <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think I think you know there's 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 serious intention there. And I think I thought about it a lot today, actually, at the doors. I think I think Julie hit on it when she said that it just kind of represents that people will want to stay where they're from and kind of not worry about anything else. Yeah. And a lot of people in Halloween town, they're very polite. They're very nice. They're very, you know, but they don't, they're, but they're naive Yeah. and they don't know what's going on out there. They have no idea what the greater, what the bigger picture is. Right. Yeah. And I think that's a good symbol for how a lot of humans work. They just want to kind of, you know, float by go to the radar and, just kind of keep going and just kind of going by and don't want to have to you know confront anything or deal with anything and you can't blame you can't blame people you know and it's i think i think the doors just kind of represent just different groups of people like julie said that's a good point guys i like that true and at
0: the same time i think that the uh the way the the halloween guys kind of embrace christmas is in good spirits yeah they want to do a good job but you know their background doesn't have joy in it, it doesn't have cheery, you know, Christmas cheer. It's yes. it's it's horror. Yes. And you can't do that. Like short of Bob Clark's Black Christmas, you can't do that.
1: <laughs> and, um, Bobby Clark.
2: Ooh.
0: But I think that doing that kind of sends off the wrong message of like, know what you're good at and don't try anything else. Uh-huh. Which is a little fucked up. Very, very. But I,
1: I don't know. What do you guys think the message is of this film? Jesus oh, wow <laughs> that's really hard that's really difficult I, I i do I do think I do think at the end I think it's very explicit at the end that that like uh, above all else love, love is mostly the strongest thing That's true. Um, in most scenarios love will will conquer and, and figure out each scenario yeah. and I think Jack and Sally ultimately is it's a love story ultimately but but I think there's so much symbolism I, within the movie, and you brought up how like. It's not, it's not like a good way to teach people that, but that's, you know, like, that's how, like, you know, I'll just say it. That's how like Americans are. If they go over to Germany, they're just not going to know how to operate, how to exactly approach this culture. And maybe, maybe, you know, not, not know how to offend them sort of thing. You know, there's just differences in cultures. Maybe they go to somewhere else in the world. I, I think people just don't know, and they don't know if they're offending someone sometimes. And I think in Nightmare for Christmas Like, even though they don't know how to, how Christmas is, because joy, like you said, isn't a part of who they are. I think that's symbolism in itself for how humans just kind of interact and don't know how to deal with other people's cultures and don't want to take it on or confront it. Yeah, It's not a a good thing.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I really like that. Um, I think for me, I think the message is... um, just stay true to yourself. Be open to other things. Like, mm-hmm. be open to trying new things. Like, um, like with me, I'm I have never tried to be into horror as much as I'm trying to be into it right now. But like, I think it's really important that I'm trying to discover this other side of myself. And if, it's, if it becomes a part of you, then it does. If it doesn't, then don't force it on yourself because if yeah. that's not who you are, then you don't want to force it onto your personality and be someone who you're not. So for me, it's just like staying true to yourself. And also with Sally, she's like, she's really like a big part of his, like she knows him better than anyone else knows him. So it's like also just sometimes your friends and family will know you too, I think, maybe.
1: Yeah. I, I connect with that a lot. Yeah. I think, I think there's, there's a lot there in that it's gray. It's not, it kind of represents, yeah, how tough it is to um, connect with people and how hard it is for sometimes for cultures to understand one another. Yeah. And, but that's really all it is, is, Hey, I want to learn. I want to understand even if it's not something I'm going to apply to my life, I want to know how it works.
0: True. And I think that at the end of the film, I think Jack's Christmas journey teaches him enough about love and cheer and joy to finally realize that Sally cares about him. Yes. Like he needed to go through that to understand a part of himself he knew was missing. Yeah. And that's really cool. I like, I never thought about it like that, but that's a very, very good point, Julie. Like, stay true to yourself but know your limitations that's a very good advice
1: yeah (laughs) because staying true to yourself would mean that you're going to stay away from certain things that Mm -hmm. you don't like Mm -hmm. and even like if you reverse it you know if the elves got put in charge of halloween it'd be a very you know
0: shitty halloween yes Yes. (laughs) And, and that's that's
1: the fun thought right is that like yeah if you if everyone just swapped places even in real life right if all of a sudden all the bus drivers swap places with all the people who are flying planes like oh my god you know it'd just be chaos and no one would know what to do and that's <laughs> that's that's life you know that we we all kind of are in a lane and we need to learn about the other lanes but you do need to stay in yours and, and figure it out and perfect yeah. it and, and be good at it and be passionate about it
0: yeah exactly t-
1: participate you know
0: yeah like i think you know i am think i'm a decent writer but i can't you know paint a mural yeah i could try it wouldn't look really good but you know what's effective is writing yeah Yeah. you know what you're good at and you hone that yeah but you also you know open yourself up
1: to other you know to knowledge of course yeah keep doors open yeah nightmare it's it's a it's a great movie (laughs) it really is that's very cool man i never thought of it like that guys and you 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 know you you reviewed it recently and gave it gave it a 10 out of 10 i did yes you know and i think (laughs) do you do you have a rating for it julie
2: oh my god uh I'm gonna say at the end because I'm not sure yet. <laughs> That's
1: fair. I like that. I like that because I'm definitely in the same boat as Connor. I think. I, I think it's a damn near perfect movie. And talking about it in this way really kind of solidifies that. It is nice. That's the best part of
0: this whole thing is kind of talking these things through, discovering new, you know, ways to look at these films, things you might have missed. It's, yeah, it's fucking great. Um, so, what do you guys think of the opening number? This is Halloween, which is kind of defend like define the movie in many different ways. It's a great way to get introdu- introduced to these characters. Go ahead, Perfect Julie.
2: Intro. <laughs> Perfect intro. Uh, <laughs> it's it's solidifying where we are, what is Halloween Town? What are they like? And then when you realize that Jack's interested in Christmas, you're like, shit, this isn't gonna go well. Cause like, we already know what Halloween Town is like. So what's gonna happen if you try to merge them together? Um, I love the music um just how they the scenes go from monster to monster and you're like oh this monster is cool whoa like they're just like carrying you through the entire setting and that's super cool how they how you, you're imagining like how they created these characters from hand and like what into this like it's really cool
1: yeah fascinating i love thinking about like especially bits like this when there's a you know big fucking musical number and thinking about what was happening on set and you're watching at times these guys are building stuff that's happening on the screen and crafting it. And I've seen pictures of Burton and Selleck kind of like sitting down with their models. And it, it is breathtaking to look at that, see that, see these two grown men with these little models that become this film, you know, that uh, become what we see. And the opening number is without a doubt, you know, why it, why it becomes what it is, I think. I think because it opens like that the first five minutes with a bang and you have everybody, it's clear that this is what they do. Only 364 more days till Halloween, you know, and they're <laughs> all freaking out and this is what they do. They, this is, they wait for that day. They literally, every year this, they're, they're building towards that day. And we understand that so clearly. A five-year-old can understand that and a 30-year-old, whatever, you know, it, that's, that's a great way to start any film And I think it's why it stands so strong today still is because that opening number is so strong.
0: Yeah, it's it's really cool. And you kind of understand why Jack is searching for something different. Oh yeah. He's been doing this god knows how long, and he's kind of tired of it. He wants a little, you know, he wants some color. (laughs) He wants something something a little different. And I like that. Like I think the songs that like should have been up for best song is either this is Halloween or his song in the graveyard because it's just it's so beautiful to hear him say you know i don't know what i want but i know i want something else mm-hmm. and that's a cool concept that not a lot of films touch mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. almost like he's like he's about to have a crisis of like, almost a crisis of faith in like what he what he is it's really cool it's, yeah it doesn't exactly work out for everybody but he tried <laughs> oh yeah very cool um so what is
1: your uh what's your favorite song from the films Oof. or from the film oh my god <laughs> what's this what's this is my favorite uh, it's, it's it's wacky it reminds me of it, it gives me the same energy that i get when i'm watching like all that jazz you know or, or rocky horror picture show just fucking crazy musicals that that go there and watching him kind of run around and like he's like he's wired and like whoa my god you know all this stuff also reminds me of like fear and loathing Las Vegas just look at the lights look at I'm seeing this I was in the darkness now I I don't know what hit me and you know the way Danny Elfman sings what's this <laughs> is something I sing all the time while I'm at work while I'm at home and I just I, I've always loved that song. How about you,
2: <laughs> Julie? Um, I'm really attached to. Uh, Sally Song and Jack's Lament. I can't really pick between the two because they're both I'm, I'm really drawn to slow songs like it's just it's always been me to like listen to slow songs like um, Bon Iver and like indie kind of music and same with like the soundtrack stuff that I was telling you guys about like whenever there's a slow soundtrack theme or something i'm always drawn to it so i i really like sally's song even though it's super short i think it was really beautiful and i really like jack cement and how uh, just i don't know it's amazing
0: <laughs> yeah there's songs that kind of define the two characters mm-hmm. and i yeah i totally get why you love those songs that's great i've always kind of been drawn to villain songs yeah and songs that, you know, the bad guy kind of defines their plan and, like, their identity. I love, you know, Be Prepared from The Lion King. Uh, Jafar doesn't really have one. No, <laughs> no. Frollo's Hellfire. Yeah. Like, songs like that. And the Oogie Boogie song is gold. Oh, it's, yeah, with the roulette, you know, behind him. Yeah, yeah, the you know, the slot machines and the dice and Santa in, like, pure hell. <laughs> like, yeah. Santa Claus, of all people. And Boogie Boogie just popping up like, oh, I'm going to fuck you up. <laughs> like, it's it's that song. Like, you don't even know what's about to happen to you, Claws. Like, it's crazy. And Ken Page does it so well. And it really, like, cements who this guy is. The Boogeyman. It's so cool. It's a great, I, like, it's a great way to kind of do a fresh take on the concept of the Boogeyman. Oh, yeah. And just, you know, a, like a fucking... Stitched up sheet filled with bugs. That's what he is.
1: Yeah. Dancing around, gambling, yeah, Yeah. smoking. You know, he uh yeah, God, he's thinking about for a minute, you know, on paper here. Tim Burton when he's thinking, you know, writing this stuff is like he for a minute there it is. You brought up like hell, like for a minute, it is Halloween versus Christmas. Yeah, like it's like fuck you, Christmas. I'm here to take your shit. You know, I'm the evil holiday. And, and, and you know I would be I would be silly to not admit that I kind of dig that. I kind of stand with that I'm kind of like yeah Christmas is bullshit compared to Halloween sometimes I don't always think that way but I I definitely connect with that and I think you know I think poor fans connect with that I think <laughs> I think you know I think a lot of our listeners would, would be like yeah I like Halloween a lot sometimes Christmas gets totally overfluffed and people lose the meaning completely Halloween on the other hand is about trick-or-treat everybody knows what it's about you know and i love that i love seeing oogie boogie kind of be in charge for a minute it's cool can we just take a moment to
0: reflect so our three podcasts our three filmgasms for for december were krampus (sighs) batman returns and the nightmare before christmas three of the most cynical christmas movies ever made three movies that basically say like yeah christmas is kind of shit yeah (laughs) that's amazing yeah we have we have we have something to reflect on we got to got to think
1: about ourselves. No, man, that's that's the film, <laughs> that's the film, guys, and what we do is horror. That's what we, you know, during Halloween, we flourish. <laughs> during, during Christmas time, we have to bring up, the, you know, the kind of weird stuff, you know, to feel normal. Hey.
2: Oh, that's
0: great. Yeah. <laughs> Julie, what do you think of Boogie Boogie?
2: I love hearing you say his name, Boogie Boogie. <laughs> yeah. Catching name. Um, his <laughs> his He's really, he's such a character. Like, I wasn't expecting him to open up with lots of bugs coming out of him. It's like, whoa, dude. Um, I I also am a fan of his song. And I think I agree with your your love for villain songs, too. Because you mentioned Hellfire. Bro, that song is amazing. And yeah. then I also love um, Be Prepared in Lion King. Oh, yes. <laughs> so... Yeah, he's a really cool guy. And I, out of watching this again, I didn't, I forgot what happened at the end. And I was like, oh my God, Jack's actually going against the Oogie Boogie guy. I um, I forgot. I, I thought that at the end, he just, he loses to Christmas. And then that's the end of the movie. But I forgot that he had to save Santa and everything. <laughs> so yeah.
0: Well, Boogie, like he's so scary that even the people of Halloween Town are like, this guy's not to be messed with. Yeah.
2: yeah.
1: Like
0: he will ruin you. And uh, I want to I want to shout out one more uh, Disney villain song that I don't think gets enough love, "Poor Unfortunate Souls" from The Little Mermaid. Yes,
2: yes.
1: Poor Bad unfortunate things. souls. <laughs>
0: yeah, that is such a cool song. <laughs>
1: uh, um, anything else that we're missing? Uh, I guess not. Um,
0: there's a few like, uh, let's see, let's, let's look back.
1: Let's on villains. Let's think about it. Um.
2: Well, there's nothing really in Hercules,
1: right? Hades doesn't doesn't really. Hades doesn't sing. And Tarzan, no, Clayton doesn't really. Clayton
0: Tarzan's not a musical; it just has a great soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah, Phil Collins (laughs) just
1: shreds that shit. Um, hmm. Mulan. Sean, Yu doesn't doesn't, no. We kind of pointed them out already. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of. It really is. Hellfire and Be Prepared are kind of like the two, the two best ones of the decade, I guess. Yeah. And then Oogie Boogie. (laughs) Yeah, then the Boogie song. (laughs) Oogie. That's great. Yeah, I'm trying to think of
0: like other musicals or yeah, like are we forgetting something? Would you count pretty women from Sweeney Todd? Oh, Beauty and the Beast. Gaston fucking, fucking
1: Gaston. <laughs> I, I love that song.
0: Oh. Yeah.
1: Such a self-serving. Gaston. Yeah. No, that's a great song too. But no, yeah, we got we we got everything else. That's cool. That is cool. 95. No, that would have been goofy movie and toy story. Yeah. Is Pixar? I don't think Pixar's done any musicals. No, life is a high card. No, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm just fucking around. Rascal Flats, shout out. Uh, <laughs> oh God. Yeah, yeah, no, no. We really kind of picked him out already. With Be Prepared and Hellfire, and then to, Oogie Boogie. I'm trying to think of like the early two thousands of Disney. What about uh, the, movie? It'd be like Emperor's New <laughs> Groove. Lilo and Stitch, no, no, no. Um, what else is in the 2000s? I haven't seen Princess and the Frog. Does that have a good villain oh, track? Oh, I haven't seen that in a long time.
2: It does, yeah. All right, cool. Um, I, I don't think it's very. Like, you, it's harder to sing to that one because the words are like harder to. They're less catchy because the other ones are very easy to sing to. So, oh, yeah
0: okay <laughs> neato
1: hellfire yeah
0: i've got another easy. one i've got another one trust in me from the jungle book oh, oh nice yes. ah. That's old school yeah <laughs> or i want to be like you king louis
1: yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> jungle book. Ah, love it all right well a <laughs> uh, couple other things i wanted to bring up from nightmare um the scene where Jack is kind of experimenting with Christmas to try to find like a scientific, logical explanation for Christmas. And he's like, you know, he boils a candy cane and shit. I love when he tries to cut a snowflake and he makes a spider. Can't help <laughs> like, it. That's the best like way to describe, you know, he can never be Christmas. He's Halloween is who he is. And even mm-hmm. when he's trying, he's going to be, he'll always be a spider. He'll never be a snowflake.
1: <laughs> ah, i like that i like that jack skellington spider not a yeah. snowflake
0: if your name is jack skellington you have
1: a destiny <laughs> yeah no kidding <laughs> well yeah especially if you go by the beginning in frank and weenie you definitely have a destiny yeah. you don't get to be father christmas if your name is jack skellington
0: i <laughs> would oh, um, so when Jack finally does deliver Christmas, uh, shit gets bad real fast. I think the kid who gets the giant orange worm is never going to be
1: okay again. Yeah. <laughs> that kid had the worst. I traumatized up until at least next Halloween.
0: But <laughs> Just him like, ah, like freaking the hell out while this giant snake worm is eating his tree. <laughs> it's so horrifying. <laughs> oh my god. Oh boy. Oh man! But yeah, I love that the people of whoever, like whatever land this is take Christmas so seriously. They are shooting artillery at a possible Santa imposter. Like they are trying to bomb him out of the sky just because they think he's ruining Christmas.
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 So much for joy.
0: My God. I love that. (laughs) Oh boy. So after Jack figures out, you know, well, I shouldn't have done that. (laughs) And, um, besides I should probably go save Santa Claus goes down and it's very much like a, my bad moment. Yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, hey,
0: I'll make up for it. It's not like a gradual realization. It's like, yeah, that was bad. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and even he's like, you know, yeah, that's right. I'm the pumpkin King I, I, Halloween. It's who I am. Why did I try? He really has like a, this was pointless. God damn it. Moment. It's so funny. But, um, uh, he goes to go get Oogie and, uh, I love their little fight and how he defeats Oogie. It's so gross. <laughs> just pulls his threads and he just rips open. It's so grisly. Just
1: bugs everywhere.
0: Yeah. yeah. I have a Funko pop of bug Oogie Boogie.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
0: Without the cloak. <laughs> that's it's, fantastic. It's gross.
1: <laughs> but him, you know, screaming, my bugs. It's so freaky. Like for kids, (laughs) that's pretty gross. Yeah, pretty gruesome. You can understand why, you know, there's the studio had it's, you know.
0: Disney is like so family friendly until it comes to the death of the villain. Good God, do they go hardcore every time. (laughs) I mean, Uh, Ursula impaled by a pirate ship, Gaston hurled off a castle, Jafar sucked into a lamp, Uh, (laughs) Scar eaten by hyenas, Frollo falls into hell itself. Jesus Christ.
2: Guy from Tarzan being hanged.
0: Yeah. yeah. Sean Yu blown up with a firework.
1: Syndrome from The Incredibles sucked into a fucking jet engine.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: The, the, I brought this up before, I think. I think Disney uh, with Pixar, I think the darkest thing I've ever seen on paper is in the beginning of Finding Nemo. Yeah. About 100 yeah. babies die and a mother and it leaves a father and one son to just kind of, you know, deal with that.
0: One son with fuck? A, with a
1: physical defect. Yeah, yes, yeah. Who <laughs> doesn't have a fin that that, that, that you know, a fin that doesn't work all the way. It is like, that is a brutal story on paper. And, it, you know, Finding Nemo is a wonderful movie. But they most certainly know how to just kind of rock you. Uh, think about, think about just inside out. Ooh. Just, just uh, what they're doing there, right? Just the yeah. idea of it is, whoa. And Soul... I'm not ready for Soul. That's going to hurt. Soul no, is going to hurt. I'm not ready. I'm not ready for it because they do this. They deal with death in ways that very few movies know how to do. Yeah, And Disney's done it multiple times. For kids, yeah. I mean, have you ever heard
0: the saddest fan theory of all time? Yeah, let's that, hear it. That Finding
1: Nemo, Nemo
0: does not exist and Marlon thinks he exists so he can cope with the death of all of his kids and his
1: wife. That there oh. is no
0: Nemo. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is some sad shit. Yeah, I refuse to believe that. Marlin is a great father. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's too sad. Dory's the one who's who's not you know all the way there. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus shit. But yeah,
0: it is weird that Disney is willing to like you know they have rules about what they can show, what they don't want to freak out kids.
1: But when it comes to the death of the villain, anything goes. Well, and, and not just uh, not just the death of the villain. You you brought up uh, something else on episode twenty six of Oscar Sunday was with Lion King, you said it was the first time that you, as a fan of movies, as just a kid, confronted death. And we're confronted with it when fucking Mufasa dies. Yeah. And the way they handle that, the way you just see it happen, and the way you see Scar be this conniving bitch, and then, you know, Simba's just left there to to fucking just wander around. Like, that is wild to see, you know, obviously that came out before we were born, but when you see that as a child, you know, really forces you to kind of process things. Yeah. Like Disney is part of our DNA. It's heavy. It's heavy stuff.
0: I, you know, I talked about that in my review for next week's episode, where I talked about how, you know, Disney films for a lot of us are the first films we ever see. Yeah. They're, you know, they're okay for kids to watch. So when you have heavy handed themes like that, it forces kids to have to process that and understand them in a way that, you know, their mind has to kind of create. And next week's episode did that in a very bad way. And we will talk about that next week when we get to the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. But, um, yeah. So, are there any other, uh, anything else you guys want to bring up on uh, Nightmare? Spectacular movie.
1: (laughs) I'm glad we got to talk about it today. Hell, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm glad I got to rewatch it and uh, re-experience. And knowing that it's all uh, stop motion and it's like, (sighs) I was just like taking in all the colors and, it was really
0: fun to watch again. So, yeah. Right on, man. Right on, guys. Good job. Uh, here's some film guys and facts. Number one, in 2001, Walt Disney Pictures began to consider producing a sequel. But rather than using stop motion, Disney wanted to use computer animation. Tim Burton convinced Disney to drop the idea. Quote, I was always very protective of Nightmare not to do sequels or things of that kind, Burton explained. You know, Jack visits Thanksgiving World or other kinds of things just because I felt the movie had a purity to it, and the people like it. That's admirable. Not a lot of filmmakers have that kind of integrity when it comes to films like this. Usually, they're like, you know, fucking yeah, give me, give me a, give me a number, and you can sequelize whatever you want. But Burton's like, nope, mine. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, and leave it, leave,
1: leave it as is. Yeah. He doesn't even want to mess with it. No.
0: Robert Zemeckis is the same way with the Back to the Future films. Uh, what's universal has been trying to get his okay for a fourth movie or a remake for years. And he's like over my dead body every time, which is upset because upsets me a little, because he is getting up there in age. <laughs> and I know that as soon as he's gone, Universal's green lighting that shit. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's
2: unfortunate. I really like how people like that, they, you can tell that they truly take pride in their art and like, yeah, I wouldn't want to change anything of mine if someone wanted to give me any money for like hell no that's my that's like my baby like why would you try to alter it
0: (laughs) yeah exactly it's you know integrity is a thing that is very difficult to find in hollywood (laughs) and it's cool to see it when it does happen Uh, number two according to henry selick vincent price was originally cast as santa claus However, after the death of Price's wife, his own health began to fail and his voice performance was very frail and weak. The tracks were deemed unusable, which led, much to Selleck's regret, the role being recast. And it was a local uh, voice actor named Edward Ivory. The film premiered at a film festival on October 9th, only 16 days before Price's death, and was released on a limited basis four days later. The film's first United States-wide release was October 29th, four days after Price passed away. So this could have been Vincent Price's last performance which would have been pretty cool for
1: Burton. For oh my gosh. him to be Santa Claus for Price to work with Burton again on a stop motion nightmare before christmas movie, yeah.
0: Considering cool. the first you know stop motion thing that Burton did was Vincent an ode to him yeah. to Price himself. This would have been just, you know, an incredible moment it's a damn shame. Oh, I love Vincent Price to death. Oh yeah. He's he's wonderful. <laughs> Number four or number three, Boogie Boogie was originally intended to be Dr. Finkelstein in disguise. <laughs> Reportedly, Tim Burton was so infuriated by this idea he literally kicked a hole in the wall. <laughs> and that would have been stupid. It wouldn't have made any sense. <laughs> Just the sheer size. Yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you explain it? Well, the whole idea was that Finkelstein was doing this because he was jealous of Sally's love for Jack. Yeah. And he. But it it turns that relationship into something way creepier.
1: Yes.
0: (laughs) This would have just really ruined the
1: movie. Yeah, I agree. Yeah.
2: The only thing that sounds like that would make sort of sense is the fact that he's a doctor and he makes stuff. So what if he like made himself kind of out of these bugs or somehow? That's the only thing that I could see them being connected. But other than that, no. (laughs)
0: Well, it could have done something like Oogie Boogie was a failed experiment Mm -hmm. of Finkelstein's. It got out of hand or something like Mm -hmm. that. That, yeah, could have worked. worked, but I think the love angle is the weirdest part of that. Yeah. Number four, some of the presents Jack delivers to the kids are nods to Tim Burton films. The snake looks like a sandworm from Beetlejuice. Uh, the shrunken head is from the afterlife waiting room in Beetlejuice as well. The guy with the shrunken head, it's the same shrunken head that the kid gets. I, I never caught onto that one. <laughs> the cat and the duck are both featured in Batman Returns. The cat is the mascot for Shrek's department store and the duck is penguins little car. (laughs) That's cool. That's really cool.
2: I knew the snake looked familiar. It was like, Whoa, I've seen it before. Yeah. Yeah, When I saw that in Beetlejuice, I was like, Oh my God. Okay. My nightmares are coming to life now.
0: Oh, sandworms. You hate them, right? (laughs) I hate them myself. (laughs) I think my, like, my favorite moment of that scene is where Beetlejuice like, leaps on Adam's back and he's wearing the same clothes. He's like, see, we even shop at the same store, Hermano, and then gives him a hug. <laughs> oh, I could riff on Beetlejuice all day.
1: Fuck yeah.
0: <laughs> I give Nightmare a 10. It's perfect. It's been a firm favorite of mine since I was a kid. That'll never change. You guys? Go ahead,
1: Julie.
2: I'm, I'm going to give it a 10. I like It's coming together like at first, I was thinking nine, but nope. I, I really appreciate it now a lot.
1: I'm in the same boat. Three tens, it is right on. <laughs> triple, triple crown. Well done. Yeah, <laughs> just a fantastic movie. Um, you know, I think, I think, uh, you know, us three clearly have a have a heart for films, animated films that are seeking to be different, seeking to be true, and and truly entertaining. And I would love to do this again with another one. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. This has been a blast.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I want to
0: thank uh, Julie for joining us today. Um, If you like this podcast and want to see it grow, feel free to donate anything you like to the podcast. Every little bit goes right back into the show, allows us to make the show better. If you would like to donate, head to the filmgasm podcast page on whatever your podcast platform is click on support this podcast in the description and uh, donate whatever you'd like. we greatly appreciate it. Next week is going to be our final filmgasm of this god-awful clusterfuck of a year. So we're going to be discussing a film that has been all but erased from existence, save for a very few copies, one of which I stumbled upon by accident. It's the 1946 tone-deaf Disney disaster Song of the South, which features Disney's unique, whimsical take on slavery in America. It's a film that Disney has worked very, very hard to wipe from the face of the earth. But thanks to a few forward-thinking people, there are copies scattered across the internet. We'll be diving into Song of the South as well as Disney's bizarre legacy of racist caricatures throughout their 20th century films. Until then, remember not to accept any gifts from Santa if he looks like a skeleton. And never gamble with the boogeyman. Don't miss our Best Picture Showdown with The Apartment on Oscar Sunday. And we will see you next Wednesday. Peace. Bye. Mm-hmm.